open the Word of God, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll consider verses 8 and 9 this morning. Think about spiritual warfare. And let's begin, please, by reading from the text. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Look at verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. All spiritual warfare begins at the level of the mind and the will. And our passage this morning is going to give us some direct divine revelation on how we can wisely withstand the wiles of the wicked one. But uh, let's pray that we'll be teachable to God's word this morning. And we also want to pray uh, God's provision and protection for uh, peace officers, firefighters, and our active military. And also, uh, several people are absent today. And we're, Has anybody gotten a text from Zane or Blanche yet? Because she usually shoots texts. I know you're not supposed to check. Murray, you're not supposed to look at texts at church. But uh, when we have uh, somebody going to the hospital, we, uh, we'll make an exception to that. But we have several people today who are absent because uh, some loved ones are in ICU and I'm thinking about the right side of the offensive line and most of the defensive backfield for the OSU Cowboys. And so it's uh, for a lot of us, it's difficult for us to worship today, but that last song we sang was very helpful to remember, even in the bad times, we keep on trusting and obeying the Lord. So, uh, Michael, if you will, uh, pray for teachability, troops, peace officers, firefighters, okay? Thanks, Michael. To fully warm up our capacity for abstract thinking before we dive into our text, three signs you may have allowed computers to dominate your life. On the computer diet, you can snack as much as you want. You burn off the calories by yelling at the tech support people and banging your head in frustration. No offense to the tech support person in the second row. You've been working awfully hard lately. If you need a little fresh air and sunshine, you can go to www.freshairandsunshine.com. And finally, the husband explains to the wife, I don't wake up at night to check my email. I automatically have it forwarded to the people of my dreams, and they read it to me. <laughs> Maybe too much computerized information. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 this morning. We've got a general command and then a specific command in regard to spiritual warfare. And basically, we're seeing uh, heads up, Satan is for real, but that's okay. Uh, God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, just, righteous, sovereign, loving, immutable, veracity, eternal, true, transcendent, and triune, and he's got this. Uh, but uh, we should not worship Satan, nor should we underrate Satan. And I think Peter, at the end of this letter, is reminding us that there are spiritual dynamics that you can't measure in a test tube that are always active around us, and we need to be aware of that. Okay, Clay? Even if you do uh, end up uh, uh, the world's greatest conservative thinker someday, as so you're well, well headed there. Okay, so let's read verse 8 again. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. 
sounds like two commands. It's really two ways of saying the same thing. Uh, and the reason for this exhortation is because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, be of sober spirit. Be on the spiritual alert. Sounds like two things. It's really just one thing. Uh, if I say I'm good and mad, I don't mean I'm good because you guys know me well enough not to believe that one. It means I'm very mad. Uh, coach Bowers, the world's greatest swim coach, might look at his team and say, get serious, get intense. Uh, and when your football coach tells you that, Jack, he doesn't necessarily mean do two things. He just means get seriously intense. So the word for sober here can mean just to refrain from intoxication. Don't get drunk or high. But that's understood. That's out of bounds for Christians. I don't think he's reminding them of that. I think he's using the more generic concept linked with its twin here. You need to be spiritually alert and aware and realize that we don't wrestle just with physical, uh, material dynamics, but uh, with spirits uh, that transcend that, good and bad. Uh, and to be spiritually alert, uh, one thing we need to know is kind of be briefed on and aware of the wiles of, of Satan. And uh, notice he's described here as a roaring lion. And I've heard several preachers, you know, sometimes preachers will hear these really good illustrations that really sound so great that you've got to use them. Uh, and then you find out they're either biologically or theologically bankrupt. Uh, the, the one I like is people will say, well, get in a pulpit and say, well, grace means when you get things you don't deserve, and uh, mercy is when you don't get things you do deserve. And in fact, grace is a general term for unmerited favor, and mercy is unmerited favor specifically given to a recipient because of his or her pitiful status. So those aren't the same thing. The, the, The sermon illustration sounds great, but it's really blurring the distinction there. And, uh, you know, I've heard preachers better than me say, well, you know, a, a roaring lion never attacks. In other words, uh, he may roar at you. Satan may try to scare you, but he can't, he's not going to attack you. Well, you know what? Biologically, that's not true. That, what they roar when they're agitated and sometimes they attack. And depending on whether you've got an elephant gun or not, sometimes they don't attack. But, uh, beware of, uh, Certain uh, truisms that you hear in the sermon illustrations aren't aren't necessarily true. But I will say this, in this verse, and I've said this many times, so if you already know the answer, don't say it out loud yet, but we're told here that Satan uh, is like a lion. So he's not saying Satan is a lion, he's saying metaphorically Satan is like, it's a simile, right, uh, a roaring lion. Now I can ask you trick question about Bible study technique, is a lion in the Bible a good symbol or a bad symbol? And look at this, look at the uh, visual aid here. It's a bad symbol, right? So it's always bad, right? You know, symbols and words mean what they mean in context. And you guys have heard me say that enough that, uh, and Jan already knew it anyway, but uh, yeah, in this context, we've got a simile that's comparing uh, the devil, a real uh, super malicious uh, spiritual uh, uh, agent that is relevant all the time uh, to a lion. But then in a passage like Revelation 5, uh, we read that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, and one of the elders said, weep no more, God's in control. 
Uh, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered, came as a lamb to die, and now is going to embrace the role of lion in connection to the book of Revelation. Uh, So he can open the title deed to planet Earth and pop the scrolls over and begin to repossess planet Earth. Now that brings us to... uh, yeah, first Peter five. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the problem is you can listen to the past. You can listen to the past messages while I'm doing a current message and kind of do a side by side comparison if you want to. Which I do that all the time, so it's not a problem. But uh, yeah, that that uh, passage in Revelation five leads us to a fast walk through the book of Revelation because uh, some cat. According to Fox News, he's a Christian numerical expert or numerology expert. Anybody who's into numerology is not a Christian expert, okay? (laughs) You know, for one thing, like, you know, there's a meaning to how many tent pegs there were in the tabernacle, right? You know, people read, you know, the one I like, Murray, is, uh, in, in Revelation, in, in, uh, John chapter 21, after the uh, resurrected Christ appears to the guys in Galilee, you know, they supernaturally catch fish, and the net's full, and it should break, but Jesus has Peter pull it in, and it says there's 153, there were 153 fish in the net. And there have been a lot of great preachers preach. What that really means is that there'll be 153 nations in the UN, or 153 nations on the earth, or 153 nations with nuclear weapons, when Jesus comes back. I mean, they read all these meanings in these numbers, and Christians love that stuff. But I always go, that's not what it's talking about. You know what 153 means there? That's how many fish were in the net. That's what that means. That's all it means. There's probably a record, but uh, that's what it means. So anyway, let's go to the book of Revelation, since we're talking about Jesus being recognized as the lion of the tribe of Judah who's going to repossess planet Earth. How does that fit into the grand scheme of things? Revelation chapter 1, Jesus appears to the aging apostle John on the Roman prison island of Patmos and commissions him to write a book about the way this story is going to end. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus addresses seven literal local churches, Ephesus through Laodicea, and talks about things he likes about what they're doing and things he doesn't like about what they're doing as a church. If you want to find a passage where Jesus directly diagnoses local churches, that's where you go, right? At Revelation 4 and 5, he sees a door open in heaven, and John's caught up to heaven. Sounds like a veiled reference to the rapture event, but we're going from church age now to end times. And we see in Revelation 4 and 5 a scene in heaven before the end, just before the end times break out on earth. And I call that the control room because God is cool, calm, and collected uh, on his throne, sovereignly controlling all the events just before they apparently, humanly speaking, spin totally out of control. The bulk of the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 18, refers to the last seven years leading to the second advent of Christ. And I mean the literal, bodily, supernatural, undeniable return of the glorious, resurrected Jesus Christ uh, as the incarnation of God. That's the second advent that ends human history in God's terms. That's described all over the scripture, uh, Zechariah 12 and First Timothy, Second Timothy 2 and Matthew 24 and Revelation 19 are great places to read about that. Uh, the text then says, 
for the next thousand years, Jesus rules visibly on a physical planet Earth uh, called the millennium, because that means a thousand years. And then in Revelation 21 22, we get an end of history as we've known it completely and get a whole new universe, which will be the best of all possible worlds. We're not living in the best of all possible worlds right now. One less rape, one less abortion, one less... Uh, uh, what's your favorite sin? <laughs> you know, uh, pride, uh, white lies, whatever you're doing, it'd be a better world. I think this is probably the best world achievable with creatures making real choices, and God providentially makes sure that happens. But we're going to get to the best of all possible worlds, and we've been designed for that, not for this. So, of course, you're not going to be satisfied here. How could you be? Right, but uh, you might say, "Well, uh, golly, Brad, why did you just go into a brief survey of the Book of Revelation?" I know Sharon's thinking it when we're trying to finish up First Peter. Glad you asked me that, Sharon. Go back to First Peter one. The idea that God's got this and His program is bigger than your your lifetime, and it's going to include all eternity, and it's going to end on terms that's going to greatly and perfectly glorify God, and that's going to totally rejoice your heart as a believer is the whole basis for this book about facing suffering now. And after acknowledging their suffering position, they've lost their homes and their pensions and their culture and they've had to run away from the bad guys as alluded to in verses 1 and 2, we read this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Even though you've got all these problems, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, now mercy and grace ain't the same thing. We've already covered that, but I'm glad to repeat it. Mercy means favor given to David Stribling because of the pitiful status of David Stribling. When as a lost sinner, he trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. So according to God's great mercy, according to how bad off we were in the general grace of God, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope that's going to transcend your funeral through and based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was resurrected after his death and burial, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for Olga Pollock and for Mike Palovic and for uh, uh, Mason Rudolph, right? Uh, it'll help put things in perspective when you realize we've been designed for something much better than this and for a person our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who are protected by the power of God through faith for an aspect of your salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Revelation's about the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, and life on earth just a little while, it's just that dash between your birth year and your death year on the tombstone. That's all it is. It's important, but it's not ultimate. If necessary, you've been distressed by various trials of your proof, can be it's proof that your faith can be manifested uh, and that you will especially be able to rejoice this the more difficult the uh, the battle the sweet of the victory at the revelation of Jesus Christ so go back to first peter this does make sense to kind of have a bigger biblical mindset and context than just kind of pulling out bible mcnuggets here so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god he'll exalt you forever at the proper time Trust him with your problems now and be spiritually alert and aware because there are spiritual dynamics going on you need to be aware of and be responding to. Now, let's talk about two strategies that all Christians need to apply in regard to Satan. Don't underrate him and don't overrate him. Okay, 
Don't underrate Satan. Satan and his crowd uh, is, are real and relevant, and they work to undermine faith in Christ. And as you know, uh, Satan means the accuser or the adversary, I should say, and the devil's the accuser. Uh, we tend to think they accuse, and they do accuse the brethren, uh, but basically God wants you, Shauna, to doubt and question God's love and grace and faithfulness as you wait for this endless uh, process of red tape and obfuscation uh, permeated by the Haiti government, you know, to keep your kids there and before they come over here, you know. So, you know, people want to second-guess God when bad things happen, but uh, what is our theme song about around here? You're never going to have enough information to legitimately do that, even though it's awfully tempting to, and some great people in the Bible do it. So Satan wants us to doubt, pout, and drop out when things happen we don't understand. They want us to question God's goodness, or maybe his reality, depending on what's going on. But uh, Satan's for real, and uh, Scripture mentions him throughout uh, the text. And uh, I know that's not cool to believe in spiritual beings anymore, but I do. I'm an unapologetic supernaturalist. And if somebody, we talked about elevator pitches a minute ago, Amber. My elevator pitch for believing in demons and Satan is Jesus does. That's it. Okay, that's all I got for you. Okay, <laughs> I didn't. Some, I've heard people say Jesus did. He still does. You know, <laughs> you know. But you, he interacts with Satan, as you know. So Satan and his crowd are real, irrelevant, uh, and they work to undermine faith in Christ for sure. That's their number one thing. Um, Satan is sly enough in the last, say, 100 years or so of Western history, to kind of go undercover, to be more more subtle than he will be on frontier mission fields. And when you're in northern China, in Chichihar, in north of North Korea, I'm not, I'm not sure what you saw in Jamasu, Homer, and Pam, but we saw some real interaction with real demonic entities in ways you probably wouldn't see on Fox News because they don't want to, Satan doesn't want film of that, you know, some of the stuff that goes on. But... Uh, He's lined up to be undercover, and I know it's not cool to believe in, in, in angels, and you know Richard Dawkins tells us we believe in fairy tales and stuff like that, but uh, not true. Uh, not true, Governor Romney. Uh, our laziness or ignorance can make us especially vulnerable to his influence. So let's not over or underrate him. Let's not explain him away. It's very fashionable in liberal church circles to say Satan is just kind of a metaphor for evil generally. He's not a personal force. But as you know... Uh, God creates all the angels positive. They're in order, not a race. When you die, you don't become an angel. You're just going to be a glorified person if you're a believer, glorified like Jesus is glorified in his humanity. But uh, he, God creates all the all the angels at once. They're, they don't reproduce the way we do. They're all there. They're all positive. And one-third rebel at the instigation of the highest-ranking angel, who's we call him today, Lucifer. So he's an angel of light, and he appears as an angel of light. That's what he is. Uh, the world loves to say they're too sophisticated to believe in spirit beings like that, and they love it when we have these caricatures of Satan with a you know, red epidermis, a long tail with a triangle on it, like it's a pointer on the tail, you know, and running around with a pitchfork. And, you know, that, that's kind of laughable and, and easy for people to scoff at. That's not the biblical picture at all. So we're talking about the real... Uh, 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 Satan, who is uh, super malicious, super intelligent,
but has severe limitations, Murray. Okay, He's not as powerful as Dr. Death at Cameron University. Is that what they call me now? And Murray dressed up to give a speech, and he gave a very nice speech on Thursday. Of course, he has a good teacher, and that's that's probably the big thing there, but he's done that before. But uh, I thought you looked good then and now. Thank you for dressing up. Most people don't dress up around here, so I appreciate that. So don't underrate Satan. Let's not overrate him. Uh, and I've said this before, and I'm going to camp on this in a minute uh, for sure. Satan is not God, and he's not God's uh, counterpart. And we don't have this tug of war where God's on one side pulling for good and Satan's on the other side and all the demons are pulling for bad. I heard a lot of sermons growing up like this. And the idea is, you know, if, if I don't get over on God's side and start pulling, we might not win. You know, that's not the way it works. God doesn't need Tom Robertson's help. God doesn't need Billy Graham's help. He doesn't need Brad McCoy's help. He doesn't even need the Southern Baptist Convention's help. He can use... And he gives us the opportunity to serve him and to score some points for the team. But he does fine without us. And you can have every created thing on one side and God on the other, and God wins no problem. So let's not over-dramatize or oversimplify the problem. So when we say God uh, is omnipotent and omnipresent and sovereign, uh, that also implies Satan is not. And sometimes people seem to think he's everywhere all the time and he knows everything, and that's just way overrating him, and that doesn't help anybody. Uh, I don't think Satan spends a whole lot of time in Duncan, Oklahoma. I know Duncan, Oklahoma is near and dear to our hearts. I've been here for 29 years because I love it. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure Satan really even knows where Duncan is on the map, you know. Now, he has lots of fallen angel helpers, but here's another thing that the overraters won't tell you, Natalie. Since you got a total set of demons at one, I mean, of angels at one point, and one third go negative. If one, you're good with math, uh, Trey. If one third of a group goes over here, how much you got left over there? Two thirds. So for every demon, how many angels do you have? Now God wins anyway, because He is omnipotent. But just based on the order of forces, okay, let's get the, let's get the tug of war rope out here again. You've got one third of all the fallen angels over here. You got two thirds on Brad McCoy's worst day, when Billy Graham is too sick to do anything and even to pray because he's under medication. You got two thirds of the angels pulling on God's side. So we're going to win regardless. So I think that's very important. So let's not overrate him. Satan is not God. He doesn't have the attributes of God. Uh, the focus of the Christian life is supposed to be on the Savior, not Satan. Just like the focus of the Christian life is supposed to be on the Savior, not just charts of the book of Revelation. Do I not believe in charts of the book of Revelation? Do you think I believe in charts of the book of Revelation? Yeah, and I've got the only perfect one in the entire history of the church. I just showed it to you. Uh, it's got the second advent. That's the one thing that's super clear. But, uh, yeah, this idea that we're supposed to focus on Satan, it's all about Satan. No, I mean, walk in the light and you won't be in the darkness. Uh, walk in the spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the sin nature, okay? Replace the negative with the positive. Of course, the negative has to be dealt with and it's real. And to deny it or to uh, underrate it is bad. It can be a problem. Uh, and by the way, First Peter, who's talking about, this book is talking about how to deal with uh, not giving up on God and copping out when bad things hit you in the Christian life, mentions Satan just in one verse directly toward the end of the book. So 
This is not the number one thing in the spiritual life to be focused on Satan, but it is a dynamic we need to deal with. Now, talking about Satan not being God, uh, I want to emphasize that. Uh, now, this is an attempt to put the Trinity on two dimensions, which is inherently impossible, but there's one God in three persons, and the Father is fully deity, but he's not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son, Jesus, is deity with all the attributes of God, but he's a different person than the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force. A force would be like gravity or electricity. No mind, will, and emotion. Okay, right, gay? You can't grieve electricity or gravity. They're just, they're forces. They're real, but they're just forces. But the Holy Spirit is a person, mind, will, and emotion, but he's a different person than the, than the Father or the Son. But they all have the same attributes. Uh, and as I, I've said, Satan is real, super powerful, super intelligent, super malicious spiritual being, but he can only be one place at one time because he's not omniscient. I don't think he can read your thoughts. He's not omnipresent. Would be He can't be here, there, and everywhere at the same time. I don't think he's omniscient because only God is, so he can't read your thoughts. I think he can figure your thoughts out by your, by your behavior patterns in most cases uh, and who you're hanging with and that kind of thing. But I'm not sure he spends a lot of time in Marlowe either. So for the Marlowe football team, I mean, if the team has problems, it may be more, uh, uh, maybe coaching, might be execution, might be a bad break, might be all kinds of things, you know. One thing about sports and, and animals, you know, if you have sports or animals, you learn sometimes you lose. Sometimes you can't convince the animal to do what you want them to do. And when you play sports, you're eventually going to find somebody better than you and they're going to beat you. So that can be helpful, actually, right? One more thing. Well, it says Satan's prowling around, so he must be prowling around. Yeah, but quite often the term Satan, and we've already emphasized, watch this, Satan is a real, specific, fallen angel, the highest, right, most powerful created being from the hand of God who's gone to the dark side. But quite often the term Satan is used as a metonymy. What does that mean? Aren't you glad you came to church today and learned a new word? Okay, let me give you an example. President Trump told the UN he would destroy North Korea if Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un, I should say, attacks the United States. There are two metonymies there. President Trump said he would destroy North Korea. So that means one more one more nuclear test, and the president's going to put on fatigues, get a weapon, dive in, you know, skydive, you know, into North Korea and destroy North Korea. Is that what it means when he said, I'm going to destroy North Korea? He means me as President of the United States commanding all of the armaments and the forces. I've got it in my array, okay? We'll destroy um, North Korea if Kim Jong-un attacks the U.S. UA, the USA. I can't even spell the United States today, okay? I kind of get nervous when I have a speech student here, you know, because I know you're grading me. You know, we, we literally just passed out this unbelievably complex grading chart that I just used all last week, and then Thursday I've got to put all together last Thursday and get them all, make sure they all line up. And uh, Maria, did you bring a copy of that so you're grading me, right? Okay. Just puts a lot of pressure on you when it happens, you know. But, uh, but listen, this isn't a five-minute speech, okay? It's like a 45-minute presentation, so it's... It, it's more sophisticated to do these than the, the five-minute speeches. But yeah, uh, so President Trump told UN he would destroy North Korea if Kim Jong-un attacks the United States. Is he afraid Kim Jong-un's going to put on fatigues? 
Number one, they wouldn't fit. You know, in a country everybody's starving because all the money goes to the military industrial complex and to the, uh, vices of the people at the top of the command. It's pathetic. And they've got hundreds of thousands of political prisoners, including a lot of Christians in concentration camps and have for a long time. And then we just kind of look in the other way. We're kind of repeating history on that one. But no, he's not going to attack us personally. He's going to get in the deepest bunker possible and try to survive as much as he can. So, uh, the term Satan quite often is a metonymy like that, referring to Satan, his program, and his personnel. So in that sense, yeah, Satan is very active in Duncan and Marlowe and Loco and small cities everywhere, you know, and, uh, in Kanoa, Mexico, where the road stops. But I doubt Satan himself as an individual spirit being spends a lot of time in Kanoa or, or Comanche, either one. Okay. But he does in the sense that his person, personnel and program is being enacted out there. Okay. Practical bottom line is the best spiritual defense in light of not just the devil, but the world and the flesh, your sin nature is a good offense. Walk in the light. We won't carry out the desires of the flesh, right? So heads up. Satan is for real, especially as you're tempted to doubt, pout, and drop out because things aren't going your way in your life. But we are to resist by standing firm and remembering something. Okay, look at verse 9. But resist him. Him and his minions and his program and his personnel by being firm in your faith and by knowing that you're not the only one who's lost your job and your pension and has faced intense uh, unfair suffering because of your faith. So maybe you should just punt your faith. No, he said don't punt your faith. That same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren, by other believers in other places and other time eras who are or have been in the world. Now that, you read that in English and it looks like you've got resist him and be firm in the faith and know this and that, but you've got one imperative in the original Greek text, resist him, then you've got two participles of means. Participles of Virgil, verbal adjectives, they kind of enhance, modify the action of the verb. So we're supposed to resist, but how do you do that? Well, by remaining firm in the faith as opposed to doubting, pouting, and dropping adding, and by knowing you're not the only one who's faced problems, okay? And it's, it's amazing, you know, as a pastor, you see people uh, over a period of time who face the exact same category problem, and it can cause somebody's faith to shrink and for them to get hard and get bitter, and somebody else, it just causes them to blossom in their faith and get much bigger in their capacity and much better uh, in their spiritual dynamics. And it's amazing. It's the same basic experience, just faced in different ways. Uh, doubting, you can doubt God or you can doubt your doubts and stay firm in your faith. Uh, to be firm in the faith means doubting your doubts or, as we've said in the purpose statement for this book, Van right in the middle of it, as spiritual aliens and short-timers on planet Earth. Christians, if you're a born-again believer, put your name in the blank. Uh, Danny Pollock should not be controlled just by our emotions or feelings. Let them be appreciators, not initiators. But we should be consistently living our faith centered on Jesus Christ so that unbelievers who might slander us because we are believers, we actually believe uh, you know, children belong to their parents and abortion is bad and marriage is one man, one woman, one lifetime. At least that's the plan. And sometimes people total that, but God doesn't punch you when you do that, even if you're on the bad side of that because uh, grace can uh, allow you to get back on the wagon, but it's not the way it works. So that uh, unbelievers who slander us because we actually believe in spiritual warfare, 
uh, as believers, will see the reality of Christ in our lives. I think a lot of people who know Trey and Julie uh, have just, uh, especially people in your peer group, they probably aren't going to come to listen to an old guy like me talk about the Bible, but have kind of seen the gospel and the way you guys faced this situation. And, hey, we got a glorious answer to prayer. Uh, but you know, there are people in that NICU during that period you were there who probably didn't get the same kind of answer you got. And I know when our both sets of twins for Jonathan were born, they were in the NICU for a while. And that first day when you go in there, you got this little tiny baby with all these tubes, and you just want to cry, but you can't because the parent, the parents are there. And I'm a pastor; I'm supposed to be tough, you know. But uh, you know, I felt so sorry for the babies and for my kids that were dealing dealing with that, for myself and for the babies and the whole thing. Uh, and then I kind of shook it off because I kind of got retooled spiritually, and then I realized these were the healthiest two babies in that entire NICU when we were there. And I said, oh, my goodness. And we and they lost a baby the first time when the older twins were in there. A baby died like the second day they were in the NICU, another baby. And it just rips you, rips you up, you know. But as believers, well, let's, let's put it this way. What's the take-home from this book? It's saying if you're a believer who's trusted Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, when... Even bad things happen to you now. You need to keep on trusting and obeying the Lord, even when there doesn't seem. You can't come up with any earthly reason to keep on trusting and obeying the Lord. You can doubt, pout, drop out, or you can doubt your doubts. And here he's just saying that again. I want you to be firm in the faith. Uh, and then he says, and this is a parallel statement in the way the Greek grammar works. Resist him, that's the command, by being firm in the faith. Keep on trusting and obeying the Lord. And by knowing, by remembering that the kind of things you're dealing with, other Christians have had to deal with too. Okay, and uh, you know uh, whether you're. There's no escape from this. Missionaries have problems on the field, and the the thing that causes most missionaries to fail isn't because they don't have enough sleep and don't have enough food and don't have enough this or don't even see a lot of results. It's interpersonal conflicts with other missionaries. You ask anybody who knows anything about the way missions work, that's what kills, let's say not kills, that's a bad term, and uh, that's what drives more people out of uh, missionary work and ministry than anything else, just dealing with people. And it's all the stuff that people do to you, uh, or, or uh, even some of your colleagues in the mission field, this happens. So uh, the idea that you're the only one who's had somebody you've trusted break your heart or, or leave and get mad and blame it on you or whatever it is, this happens all the time. Welcome to planet Earth, you know. Uh, this isn't heaven. Does it say, does the Bible teach this is heaven right now, Henry? That's correct. You're, you're good. That's, when people sit on the front row and know all the answers. That's good. But he's saying, just, just, you know, there's no such thing as the fastest gun in the West. There's always somebody faster. But I wrote here in my notes, no matter how bad you've got it, Brad feeling sorry for himself as he felt sorry for his son and his daughter-in-law as he felt sorry for his for Lincoln and Viv. I mean, she was 313, which I, to me, and she's small now, you know. They're still kind of at the very, very low end of the growth chart, but they're geniuses, okay? Just so you know, it's kind of like, uh, like uh, a baker is too. I have no doubt of that. But yeah, no matter how bad you've got it, others have it worse than you. And because you got it bad, you can resent God for that if you want to. It's free country, but I wouldn't suggest it. Uh, no matter how good you've got it, okay, other people have it better, so you can resent God for that. But 
the book of First Peter is saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, cast your cares on Him, be aware there are spiritual dynamics, including Satan and his minions that would love to see you blow it or punt the faith or uh, doubt, pout, and drop out of the Christian walk. But resist him, stay firm in what you believe and what you're going to uh, trust about the person and goodness of God. Don't listen to the accuser. Uh, and remember that uh, there are people who have it just as bad or worse than you do, and they've done fine spiritually. So you you can do this. It's not easy, but you can do this. I'm looking at a, a new widow back there, and you know I, I've not lost, lost a spouse. Uh, as a young pastor, you know somebody warned me in seminary: don't look at people and tell them I know how you feel. As a 28-year-old kid in Shreveport trying to pastor a little church, uh, when somebody loses a loved one and you've never had anything like that, because it sounds very hollow and you don't know what they feel. And even if you've had the same analogous. analogous Experience, you still don't really know how they feel. But if you've had a similar experience, Trey and Julie for the rest of your lives will be able to have a special ministry with people whose kids are born with issues that need NICU time. You can say, we've been there and we don't know exactly how you feel, but we kind of can, can relate to how you feel in a way that uh, somebody who's never had to deal with that, um, has had to do so. So, uh, there's always somebody out there that God can use to help you, but realize that God doesn't go away. Uh, when bad things are happening to you, any more than on a cloudy day, or during that eclipse, during the total, total eclipse of the sun, the sun didn't go away, right? Uh, you just got the moon in front of it, right, temporarily. I, I believe in the sun even on cloudy days, don't you? Even if you can't see it, it's always there. So that's kind of the way we got to think about living the Christian life. Um, so take this to heart. We can withstand the wiles of the wicked one. We can excel in the face of spiritual warfare, whether it's totally driven by our sin nature and our capacity to doubt, pout, drop out, or whether it's been influenced by demonic uh, activity trying to affect our environment or some of the inputs we're getting or whatever. Uh, we can withstand the wiles of the wicked one in our own sin nature by remaining firm in the faith and just uh, remembering we're not alone and other people around us uh, uh, have been where we are and have done well spiritually. And we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us, but we've got one who's uh, suffered in every way like we have and yet is sinless. So our invitation to you this Sunday and every Sunday is the Bible teaches a lot of interesting things, a lot of complicated things, but the bottom line is the Bible says that uh, sin is black. And I learned this in Baptist, in my Baptist uh growing youth, uh, sin is black, hell is hot, and you can't fix it. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Christ, because Christ died for our sins on the cross once for all, we don't have to die in our sins. That's the gospel message. The fact that you've sinned and have offended God and you deserve to go to hell isn't the gospel. Gospel means good news. That's the bad news. That's true. That is true. But uh, that's the bad news. The good news is that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because Christ did all the work, salvation is of the Lord and you got nothing God needs and you're not making a deal. You're not giving him something and he gives you something else. In fact, uh, 
when Jesus heals the leper, you know, the leper just says, hey, if, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's what saving faith is. I'll, I'll stop smoking. I'll come to Sunday school. I might even come to prayer meeting. You know, if you just forgive me for some of the big ones, you know, I can try to save myself on the rest. That's the way people tend to think about God. Like President Trump likes to make deals. Salvation is not, let's make a deal. You gotta come on God's terms and you got nothing to give. But to the one who does not work, Romans 4, 5, but to the one who does not work, but who believes on Christ, who justifies the ungodly, that person's faith is reckoned as righteousness. So what does Jesus tell Nicodemus, the aging religious guy in Jerusalem? Gotta be born again. God sent the Son, believe on Him, He have eternal life. What did Jesus tell the uh, woman at the well? That's John 3, John 4, who's uh, been married and divorced five times, is living with her current boyfriend. He says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, I'd give you living water. Right? She says, I, per- I perceive you're a prophet. You know about my marriage, my, my marriages and my whole uh, personal life. And he says, look, I can give you living water. I can give you eternal life if you'll take it. As a gift, but to the one who does not work, but believes in Christ who justifies the ungodly, that person's faith is reckoned as righteousness. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace means unmerited favor. You don't earn it, deserve it, can't unearn it, can't undeserve it. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that means when we can just take a free ticket to heaven and a free get out of hell card and we're good and just do whatever we want to do. Now, because when we trust Christ as Savior, He doesn't just give us forgiveness. He gives us a new capacity to serve Him, and He expects us to. But all that good stuff that comes out of salvation is an effect. It's not the cause. It's the fruit. It's not the root. It's very important we don't overlap those or artificially separate them, either one. So as James alluded to, when Paul, who's a pretty good source, is asked, what must I do to be saved he doesn't say, stop smoking, walk an aisle, sign a card, be baptized, and do this, that, and the other. And oh yeah, trust in Jesus too. Uh, he just says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Right? And so when you really trust Him, He doesn't just give you a get out of hell free card. He gives you a whole new capacity to serve Him. And, uh, many of you guys are especially good examples of the, as trophies of the grace of God and those kind of things in your Christian life. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us to uh, just pre-decide today even. Now, some people are in the middle of a crisis, so it's too early to pre-decide about their current crisis. They're in the middle of a hurricane. But give them the eye of the hurricane experience as they stay firm and realize that they're not alone. The kind of things they're dealing with, other people, other Christians have successfully navigated by your grace and enablement. And even if they can't think of anybody who's been in a similar situation, you're with them. And you know how they feel. And you love them. And you're going to provide for what we need so we can be or become what you want us to be regardless of our issues, our difficulties, or our problems. Uh, we pray for anyone here this morning who's not from the depth of their heart as the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. They got it. Righteousness, they need it. Judgment, it's coming. That you might open their eyes to see and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you work that transaction uh, that, that they would not only receive the free gift, but they realize now you've gifted them to serve you, minister for you. They don't have to be a deacon like Michael or an elder like Dale or Homer to serve you, to minister for you, whether they're young or old, man or woman, uh, boy or girl. So uh, we thank you for this time in the Word, Father. Please uh, take this teaching 
so that we can now read this text, understand it, apply it to our individual lives, and help each one of us do that. In your grace and your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.